uh, a uh, <clears throat> word of explanation, I think, is probably in order. Um, had a little altercation with parking lot a week and a half ago. Parking lot one. But you should see what I did to the parking lot. Today we're going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, looking at uh, the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Actually, let's begin with verse 2. So if you want to read along with me, open your Bibles to that location. We give thanks to God always for you all, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brethren beloved by God, that he has chosen you. For our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us what a welcome we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. When I was an elementary school student, teacher asked us to write down on a piece of paper what we wanted to be when we grew up. I wrote down what my dad was. I wanted to be a director of public relations at a university because that was my, dad, my dad's job. I couldn't conceive of anything more worthy than to be an imitator of my father. I had no idea what the words of his title meant, but to be an imitator of my father was important to me. Much later in life, I was impressed with one of the elders of my church. This was in California. It's possible, I think likely, that I am here today because he was a great example of Christian service as well as Old Testament scholarship. I tried to imitate his walk of faith as well as how he comported himself as an Old Testament scholar. Imitation can go sideways become a parody. In graduate school, one of my mentors told the story of his professor, who was a noted and celebrated scholar, who wore a houndstooth hat, smoked a pipe, and sat in a chair with his legs crossed. One day, he was walking down a hallway and looked in a room, and there was his mentor teaching, 
and all the students in the room wore houndstooth hats, smoke pipes, and had their legs crossed. My mentor told me he decided then and there never to promote himself and his idiosyncrasies as things to be imitated. I think in a real sense, all who profess Christ are being watched and will be imitated for good or ill. But what is the content of that imitation, and what are we supposed to imitate? So today, let's look a little more closely at 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 10, and really most of the rest of the book, through the lens of the beginning verse I read. The work of faith in imitating Christ, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. In Paul's thanksgiving in 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 and 3 that I read in your hearing, we have the outline of the book, in fact, in my opinion. And let me read this again. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The book of of 1 Thessalonians begins and ends with faith, love, and hope. Excuse me. And according to one commentator, each major section of the book is characterized by these themes. The work of faith in chapter 1, the labor of love among the Thessalonians in chapters 2, 1 through 4, 12, and the steadfastness of hope in chapters 4 through uh, 13 through chapter 5. The work of faith had to do with Paul's preaching of the gospel and the Thessalonians' imitation of Paul. The labor of love also deals with Paul's preaching and his suffering, his example to the Thessalonians, which they were to imitate, the labor of love. And the steadfastness of hope introduced to us in chapter 1 gets fully revealed in the last uh, couple of chapters of the book. It deals with with the delay in Christ's return and the reality of Christians who died prior to his second coming. Let's look closely at what the work of faith is in chapter 1. It has to do with hearing and believing the gospel and becoming imitators of Christ. But it is not only hearing and believing. It is receiving the gospel from faithful people who imitate Christ and then imitating Christ in turn. Those who preached the gospel in 1 verse 5 did so in full conviction of their faith and lived blameless lives. In 1 6, the behavior of those who preached produced disciples of the Thessalonians who imitated them and then became examples to other churches in Greece, a chain of imitations. Second, A church whose leaders and members imitate Christ is a church which sounds forth the word of Christ beyond its own faith community. As the faith of the Thessalonians sounded forth everywhere, and I might put a little uh, 
uh, interlude in here to say the faith of Brentwood Oaks Church of Christ has sounded forth not only in our community, but everywhere around the world. So the church today that imitates Paul, who imitated Christ, <clears throat> will have a faith that sounds beyond its walls. Third, their faith was not just the acceptance of a body of beliefs. Their faith was demonstrated in concrete acts of obedience. They turned from idols to serve the true and living God. Idols were the norm in first century Roman society and really everywhere outside the church. But these idols were like glorified humans. They were like humans, only more so, with human virtues and vices, but magnified, magnified a hundredfold. These gods and goddesses were not necessarily interested in humans and their problems, but they could be manipulated through sacrifices, so people thought. One did not imitate the gods of Rome. One tried to get their attention. What exactly were the gods? They were the personification of forces beyond human control, like the storm, the sea, we could say the ice storm, warfare, success with crops, success with flocks and herds, wisdom, education, pleasure, and many other forces. Rather than devote their energy to the manipulation of these forces, the Thessalonians turned from idols to serve a living God. It is also important, I think, for us to demonstrate that we do not bow the knee to the gods of our own age. The forces of economy, and we personify these as well. Wall Street, Wall Street is asphalt, right? Such as I had an altercation with. It's much more than simply a road. It's a personification of a force that we have little to no control over. The acquisition of material goods, education, entertainment, we might say the personification of that, we might say, is that Hollywood sign, right? Hollywood. Well, what's Hollywood? It's a, a section of Los Angeles. Why is that important? It is what it personifies, what it uh, sets before the world as an answer to their needs that they can trust in. Pleasure, so many forms so many idols, science, military might, the Pentagon, or any other security or false support, not that any of these things are in and of themselves necessarily wrong, but when we trust these and devote our time and attention and energy like first century Romans did to these forces, Instead of trusting in God, these are idols. There is a hint of this expanded meaning of idolatry in Colossians 3 verse 5, which equates covetousness with idolatry. 
one of the most important things we can do as Christians, like the first century Thessalonians did, is put away our idols. Burn them. Put them out of our sight and serve and devote ourselves and our time and our energy to the one true God alone. The second aspect of the work of faith is the labor of love. To be Christ's representatives through our lives and through our words. Paul does this for us in chapters 2-1. He unpacks what that labor of love means in chapter 1 through 4-12 by showing love to the community of faith, and secondly, by turning from immorality. First, it is to devote ourselves to the love and fellowship of the family of faith in chapter 3, verse 12, and chapter 4, verse 9. How do we do that? What does that look like? In chapters 2 and 3, Paul tells stories about himself tells of his afflictions and how he behaved towards them, how he spoke them the gospel boldly, how he endured affliction, was not guilty of greed or a flatterer, was generous and gentle with them, how he managed his own affairs, how he was an encourager, and how he was eager to be present among them. The point, I think, is obvious with his telling of the stories of how he had interacted with the Thessalonian church. As Paul imitated Christ in that he spoke boldly, endured affliction, was not greedy or a flatterer, was eager to be present with them, was an encourager, etc., so the Thessalonian church was to imitate these as well. We urge, he says, as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, that you do so more and more. Chapter 4, verse 1. And so this is at least some of the content of what the labor of love means to Paul in 1 Thessalonians. But he also details what the opposite of love of the brothers and sisters might look like. And he spells it out in chapter 4, 1 through 8. It is the false love of sexual immorality. Paul calls all such behavior transgressing, and this is from the ESV, transgressing and wronging our brothers and sisters. The Greek is more blunt. The word the ESV translates to wrong means literally to grasp, to covet, to be greedy for, to try to possess illicitly. The Greek word for immorality a little later in this text, in uh, chapter 4, is one we should all recognize. It is the word porneia in Greek, from which we get the word pornography. Lest you think that this is not really a problem among us or among other churches, I did a little spot check. I had heard this from a good uh, counselor friend of mine who told me that uh, two-thirds 
of all men in churches in this city struggle with various sexual addictions, especially pornography. So I checked him a bit over the last few days and I found numerous websites which said exactly the same thing, only they broadened it out to include the entire U.S. Are we guilty of idolatry? I think in this case, yes, we are. Paul instructs the Thessalonians and us to avoid that which is the opposite of the labor of love, found in 4 verse 9, to love each other and walk properly in front of outsiders who are watching us. His third point and the third section of the book introduced in chapter 1 is the steadfastness of hope in light of the fact that we have something to look forward to. The end is not yet. The culmination is not yet. The fullness of time is not yet. We, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, along with all the rest of creation, struggle and yearn for the revealing of our adoption as sons of God. Finally, then, the work of faith is to look forward in expectant hope for the revelation of God's work in the world and in the church. It is to look to the future of God's final culmination in Christ's return and resurrection from the dead, the audacious claim of Christian faith which sets us apart from all other religions. In the face of social and political upheavals, wars, economic downturns, global pandemics, ice storms, what have you, we look forward in expectant faith for Christ's reign to be realized. What is hope? Faith oriented towards the future is hope. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, we're told. Those who are entrusted with the care of souls, really everyone in this room, somebody we're entrusted with, are not to produce clones of our idiosyncrasies. And I have so many. Just ask my wife and my daughter but to teach through our lives as well as our words to help fashion imitations of ourselves insofar as we imitate Christ. As one said at one time, preach the gospel. If it's necessary, use words. The bar is high. The only one worth imitating is the one who boldly speaks the word of the kingdom, who suffers opposition for Christ's sake, who is genuine and gentle, who cares for those under his care, and who does not impose authority harshly. And I commend our elders, parenthetically, here for 
acting in these ways, and they're worthy of emulating, for they imitate Christ. I suppose our job is to imitate Paul, like the Thessalonians were exhorted to, who imitated Christ, and to teach others who will imitate us as we imitate Paul, who imitated Christ. The Thessalonians were not a perfect church. It was possible, and possible for us, to preach for gain, to not walk blamelessly, to be harsh, to be phony, to preach a false gospel. The warning to Christians today is clear. We are being watched and imitated. We teach with our words and our actions. Let us try to imitate Christ as Paul did and so produce other imitators of Christ. I think for us today, the work of faith is not somehow different than it was for the Thessalonian church. Just one step further down the chain in the imitation of Christ. It's our task as well to imitate Christ and so inspire others to imitate him. And so don't despair when you encounter Christians whose lives are not worthy of imitation. Our ultimate model is not people whose links in the chain of faith are weak and frail, and that chain often breaks. But our ultimate model is Christ, who Paul imitated, the perfect model of service. If you have yet to join the ranks of those who try to turn away from idols to serve a living God, who have yet to begin the journey of the imitation of Christ, then Christ calls you to be his disciple. What is that? One who learns at the feet of, one who imitates Jesus Christ. He calls you today. Let's stand and sing.